Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Let me start by reading this passage and then we'll um, get into the word. I'm just reading one verse in Psalm 39, is verse 4. Even though we'll be spending a little bit more time in 5, 6 and 7, but 4 is our main passage. So now let's hear the word of the Lord. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is definitely the best time of the year. You agree, right? Apart from the fact that some people have traveled, so their faces we've not seen. But there are people that have traveled in. Oh, what's wrong? Okay, the people that have traveled in, so their faces I've not seen also before. And you're welcome if you're a new face here. Their faces we've not seen in a long time as well. So you're welcome. And you know, the thing about Christmas season, the end of the year, why do we like it so much? We see people that we love, we are united with them again. Some of you have attended school reunions. Some of you have attended family reunions. Their parties left, right, center. Like I had to even cancel one for yesterday. And I'm still anticipating, sorry Tyro, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm still anticipating, you know, one or two more. It's the season of jollity and jollof. Mixed, you like that one, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I've been working on it for a while now. It's just, it's just a wonderful time. And let's be honest, it's not everyone who has the opportunity to be able to celebrate the way we do. And so usually, one of the saddest things about this season is when you don't have people or you don't have anywhere to go, you don't have food to eat, isn't it? But can I tell you something that is probably a little bit worse than that? You want to know what it is? She doesn't want to know what it is. Something that is possibly worse than not having where to go and not having someone to celebrate with is this. Is that while you are in your celebration. Some people, some of them are miserable. Let's just call it what it is. They want to poo-poo on your celebration. You know what I mean? It's, uh, well, my wife and I are always waiting, just waiting. We're entering December, December 19, December 20, December 21, when all the, you know, Christmas bells are ringing and everything, then somebody now comes up and tells us that, do you know that Christmas is a pagan holiday? And do you know? Do you know that if you participate in Christmas, you will be, you will be participating in a in in a, in you'll be initiated into some kind of witchcraft. Then they go on and start telling you. They tell you something you have never heard in your life. Do you know that Jesus was not really born on twenty fifth? Wow! Whoa! And then. Just to show their biblical profundity. They now tell you, show me where. 
from Genesis to Revelation, where you find Christmas in the Bible. Uncle, please wait. Let me check. You, if, I, if anybody comes to do that to you, say, Uncle, do you mind? Can we wait? I want to go from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Let us search. Just waste their time. <laughs> now, apart from the fact that these people, I think, are on shaky theological and biblical and historical grounds, you may not want to respond with all the various responses that have been there for, for 2,000 years for those kinds of things. You may just tell them, Uncle, why don't you just be body here? You know, as in it will do you some good. Just ease up. But you see, I think apart from what I said, there are arguments to, to go against. I mean, if you, if you do that, look, we'll stop doing anything and everything. Should Yoruba stop calling God Oludumari, for instance, or Lauren? Because Yoruba folk religion actually called the Supreme God that one, too. What should we call him? You see, there's nothing if you understand how Christianity goes into all kinds of cultures and it came against all kinds of religions, inevitably is going to use some of the forms of those things to express something else. It actually undermines them by entering them and taking over their own forms and their own uh, and puts in a different core and a different center. But I don't want to go into all of that. I think there's something that they miss about why we all look forward to the end of this time. And it's one word, rhythm. Rhythm. You know, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, this very familiar verse, it says, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Do you understand? You have day and night, cycle repeats itself. You have summer and winter, cycle repeats itself. And so what you're introduced to is rhythm. The earth rotates on its axis every 24 hours. But it revolves around the sun every 365 and 0.25 days. We have, okay, for, I shouldn't have said summer and winter, it was the Bible. Dry and wet, right? <laughs> Where it isn't. You see, without these cycles, without these cycles of rhythm, life will not exist. God has so built rhythm into our thinking that we cannot do without it. If your heart stops beating to a particular rhythm, you know what that means. Iku. How do we learn most of our favorite songs? You know, one of the wonderful things about the end of the year is that you start singing old songs, you start doing karaoke, right? Apart from the fact that some of the songs you have still been singing very wrongly until you see the karaoke light, say, hey, is that what it was? <laughs> but how do we learn? Most of us did not stop, play, write. How do we learn? We learned because you listen to it over and over and over again. There was a chorus, there was a verse, they kept repeating the verse, so you understood it over a period of time because of the rhythm, the cycle. Humans are born and they die. Babies crawl and then they run. We work for five days, we rest for two. Okay, not in Lagos, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and we toil around the year for about 11 and a half months. And we just want to unwind and celebrate for about two weeks. Is that bad? And so, when you are going, when we recognize these cycles of life, these cycles of rhythm, 
When you're about to move from one cycle to the next cycle, you know what we call that? A transition. And that's why this thing is important. Yes, there are many people who start there, who practice these transitions. And, and maybe, for instance, you go into church at the end of the year, there's a prophecy that's about to come, 50 prophecies, 49 of them sound generic, you know, that kind of thing. But actually, what's motivating that, whether it is expressed rightly or wrongly, is that people are saying, as I'm coming to the end of something and I want to begin something, this, this transition is almost demanding something of me. I can't just go in like that. And so that leads us to two things that are always very important in transitions. What is it? Reflection and resolution. Reflection and resolution. With reflection, we exercise our mind on the past. What has happened this year? And with resolutions, we exercise our minds on the future. What can I be looking forward in the year to come? This is what should happen in the transition. Now, if you think about these things long enough, hopefully, as you're going into the new year with this resolution, you can capture it in a theme. A theme that says, all right, based on what has happened in the previous year, and now that I'm going into this year, I want to resolve in my heart to enter this new year and dedicate myself towards this particular theme. And so here in City Church, every end of the year, what has happened is I've tried to reflect just on our life as a church, the uh, preaching, counseling people. And so, all right, this is what happened last year. Here's what we should look forward to in the year to come. So, the previous two years ago, when we started this, was focus was our theme. Last year, who remembers what it was? Focus again. Focus. Ah. It shows you how effective this thing is. Whereas if I told you this was the word of the year that God has spoken to me, you can be laughing at people that say that you remember what it is. This is our year of winning. This is our year of, if I bring that one, you will know. But when I now give you this other one, you're not like, you can't remember. Uh, sing, for, sing for God. Live for God. It was faith. It was faith. It was faith. Faith. And then faith is about pleasing God. Uh, oh, get it, Dada. Uh, it was faith. All right. Okay. Just let's. Okay. All right. That didn't work very well. Now, this time, because of this kind of thing, I have gone into my chamber. I I fasted for about. About five minutes, minutes, right? But, you know, it's a start. But without really, without any kind of revelation, special revelation whatsoever, but I would say with deep reflection, we want to say that this year, 2020, will be the year of perspective. Perspective. He said, he said so underwhelming. <laughs> Now, I would like to, when we think of perspective, we think about a point of view. I want us to understand what this would be going forward. Let's look at it in three, three ways of looking at perspective, all right? So we're going to look at a narrow perspective. We're going to look at a broader perspective, and we'll look at an eternal perspective, all right? A narrow perspective, a broader perspective, and a narrow, and an eternal 
perspective. Ah, man, this, it will work, Sha. Say 2020 is my year of perspective. You see, you, you see I know you people at the back. Faye, I didn't see your mouth move. Taiwan, okay, Taiwan, come for your next party. Shola, even if you are leaving us, it's already there. You are tweeting it. 2020 is my year of perspective. Oh, yeah, let's say it together. 2020. <laughs> ha. See, I have all time to preach. Oh. 2020. Let's stop. Now, as I said, so in our perspective, perspective is, is it's a viewpoint on a particular thing. Sometimes we call it a viewpoint or a point of view. From where are you standing to see a particular thing? Now, it's related to our ability to understand the thing we are looking at and then act rightly based on that understanding. We look at something, we understand it, and then we act based on that understanding. So if I ask you, what is your perspective on your life? Very simple question, isn't it? Where do you think it's going in 2020? Well, since you looked all very confused about that, let's try something else. Let's try something easier. Some of you read the newspapers, you follow, you watch TV and all these news channels. What's your perspective, say, on something like the American economy? Right? No, no, no. We're not getting political here. We're just talking. The American economy. From what I hear, it's been growing. It's been growing for the last couple of years. Right? Employment is at a record low. So when you look at it, you say, well, America is even richer. That would be true. But it also depends on the perspective that you are looking at it from. For a lot of wealthy people, they will say, man, it's a great time. It's been a wonderful time. And yet, for a lot of people who are poor, they say, look, wages have not only stagnated. Sometimes I'm even saying my wages have come down. They say the economy has grown. But from my own perspective, I don't feel that way. You see, many times, what happens is that we are given the same data we look at it, Kune can look at it, Priya can look at it, the same thing. They're looking at it from different points of view. And so based on Kune's history, his biases, he will see what he wants to see, and he would ignore what he wants to ignore. Priya may see what he has ignored, but she may ignore what he has seen. Do you understand what I mean? Maybe you don't. Let's test how good our, our knowledge is. I want you guys to watch this video. It's uh, probably about a minute. I'll tell you tomorrow to stop. But what I want you to do here, right? There are people in white, and they're going to be passing balls. So I want you to be very sharp. All right? This is my quiz for my final quiz on the sermon for the year. So the people in white are going to be passing the ball. I want you to count how many times they pass the ball. Do you understand? All right? How many times did the people in white pass the ball? You have to look well. Don't allow anyone to disturb you. Say, neighbor, don't disturb me. All right. So, watch. Don't shh. Don't shout, don't shout. 
Don't shout. Count on your own. Tomorrow, once they finish, stop. Pause. Stop. All right, so who, you said what? Wait, wait, I'm hearing, okay, I'm hearing 15, I'm hearing 16, I'm hearing 17, I'm hearing 14, I'm hearing 8. Who said 8? <laughs> All right, well, how many do you know? Eh? Eh, no, 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 one answer, one answer. All right, eh? 16, Kemi, you said 13, anybody else? Yemi? Yemi, 17? 14. <laughs> so 13, 14, did anyone see 15? Fifth, eh? Shola, yeah, 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 Shola saw 15. Six, Lola, what you call you? Bola, Lola, Shola, you know. I see you again. All right, so I'm here 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Anybody for 18? Where, where, where are you? 18. We, we said 18. 18 there, Kenne, good. Sam, was it 19? Six, 16. All right, there's a 19 somewhere. Where, 19 here. So we have from, just hold on, hold on. Is, is, is the same TV, the same two eyes that you all have, and we have from 13. Which 11? Where? Who said 11? Oh, okay, Inumidu. So Kene is there, he saw 19. Right next to him, 18. Right next to him, Inumidu saw 11. 11 and 18, right by each other. I think my sermon is ended, right? Well, the answer to the question, because obviously my perspective matters the most, the answer is 16. But I want to ask you a question. What is it? You got 16. No, forget it. Let me ask you another question. Raise up your hand if you saw the gorilla. See, they're very happy with themselves. Okay, good, good. Now, remember, we're in church. Are we in church? All of you that rose up your hand, you didn't see gorilla. You know what happens. Okay. But thank God you're in church. It's the end of the year service. Don't lie, oh. How many of you saw the girl in black exit? Uh, there, there, were, uh, uh, there were three girls. There were three girls in black. Did you see one of the girls in black exit? You didn't see it. You had seen your face. You didn't see it. One more. How many of you saw the color of the curtain change? Roll the tape. It's getting there. Just leave it. Wow. Wait, wait. 
All right. Stop. Thank you. You see, it's all about perspective. What you are looking out for, most times you will see, is optical illusion, if you like. So we directed your mind to just look at what is just being passed, and then you didn't see other things that are around. In other words, many times, our view and understanding of things is limited not just by the data we consume, but our biases often make us limited. Or as of things or circumstances or, 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 or things we go through in our lives make us see a particular thing, but we don't fully understand it because we are just seeing it from one perspective. In fact, that perspective often is narrow. And when you have a narrow perspective, this often leads to limited knowledge. A narrow perspective often leads to what? Limited knowledge. And the psalmist understands this. You see, because if you look at verse 4, he says, let me know knowledge. But he's not saying, I know. He's asking, he's requesting that he should be helped to know. But that request to know is tied to the very first thing he asks. Show me. He understands that the way he sees, even though it is right in front of him, is limited, and that is going to affect his knowledge about a particular thing. So he first says, show me so that I may know. Many people have spoken to this year. Many of us here that have spoken to us, some of us have not spoken to Maybe you are coming here for the first time. When we think about our perspective on ourselves, quite often I can just um, categorize us into two different camps. What I've seen, what I've spoken to with people, and what I've studied. You have, on the one hand, self-haters, and on the other hand, self-lovers. Who are the self-haters? These are those, some of you, who think terribly about yourselves. And the reason why you think so terribly about yourself is because you have been blinded, a narrow perspective, blinded to the wonderful things God has been able to do through you this year. I'm speaking to somebody, and this person was really in a bad situation and just felt not only does the person think they are bad, but the person was reflecting on all the bad things that they had been doing to one or two people. To which I then said, well, you are exaggerating it because I have spoken to this person and I have spoken to this person. I had to list about 10 things to this person and to say, you are not who you think you are. I said, I'm not trying to flatter you. Look, I am speaking based on evidence. But the person had been blinded to those things and decided to focus more on the horrible things. If you're that kind of person, God has, has used you this year to be caring, to be loving, to be generous. Some people even think that you are funny. <laughs> Granted, you are not perfect. But I think you're also blinded to your potential and how much you mean to a lot of people. You're operating on a very narrow perspective. 
But then we have the self-lovers. These are those who think they are more worth it than the ladies in L'Oreal, if you have seen that. Hardly ever critique themselves. Why? Because you are blinded to all the various ways your sin and your self-love makes you hurtful to people. You can be harsh, very manipulative, deceitful, stingy, judgmental. You often feel superior to others. When confronted, when you, they, they manage to confront you, you always highlight your good above your sin. You know, one of the things about these people also is while they are blinded to their own faults, they are so terribly aware of every other person's fault. But I think the worst thing about these people, and maybe that's some of you here, the very worst thing about these people is that as I currently speak, they don't believe I'm talking to them. <laughs> right now. It's still somebody else. It's a narrow perspective. You've decided to blind yourself to all those things that you do, and you keep with this narrow perspective that, after all, I'm the one that did this, and I'm the one that did this. You see, the problem with continuing in this kind of pattern, either of those two camps, is this. The narrow perspective leads to limited knowledge. Is that what I said? But the limited knowledge then leads to an unfulfilling purpose. You cannot live out your true purpose. Remember, the reason why we have a perspective and want to get the right perspective is so that we can understand a particular thing. And when we understand that thing, we can act rightly. But if you don't have the right perspective, let's say even of yourself, you are going to act not in a way or live in a way that is not according to God's purpose. So what do you need first and foremost? You need somebody to show you. Show me. That is, you cannot allow just your own view of yourself to dictate and tell you this is who I am. You need to involve other people. And quite frankly, you need to involve, I'm not saying you already have friends, but most of your friends are like you. Self-lovers just like you. I'm talking about how terrible the people in the world are. Or self-loathers or self-haters just like you. And there's a mutual kind of affection for how you guys are just ter terrible. What you need are people who are dissimilar to you. Self-haters, you need encouragers. You need confidence boosters, people that will mourn with you, but people who would advise you and people that will comfort you. Invite them to confront you with your self-loathing. Please don't run away from them and wallow in destructive self-pity. That's where the enemy wants to push you to. What about self-lovers? Embrace authority figures in your life. What I mean authority figures, people who are godly, mature, but can speak to your life. Embrace them from within the church and elsewhere. Let them be over you. Strong people, because you know you're a strong person. Embrace strong people, not somebody who talks to you, then immediately you react and then the person cowers. Strong people who can call you out for your sin. 
but at the same time care for you. Don't run away and isolate yourself from godly relationships. You see, we all need people to show us so that our knowledge and our purpose in 2020 can go in a more godly direction. Amen? That takes me to my second point. Because the psalmist still has one other party to involve here. You see, he's, when he's thinking about the big issues, though, of life, when you're thinking of the big issues of life, not what am I going to do, you know, pink on, uh, can I use orange bag with a pink top? Is that, that's, that's, the color, okay, it's a big issue of life. Some people are saying it's a big issue of life. I think it's a big issue when we now have to talk about what shoes goes with the two of them. You understand? Because I would say white, but if you put green, that's when it really becomes a big issue. And you show that you're from Illinois. All right, so um, when, when it comes to the, the, okay, okay, all right, okay. Illinois people, let me tell you, in 2020, Ilori will be the best city, most celebrated city in City Church. No longer shall there be any scoffers on Ilori. No longer shall there, you are praying, you are saying amen. All right? I, I promise you, no, let me not promise. I'm starting on the, but I will try my best not to, not to pick on Ilori. All right, amen? I, can you imagine? But on the big issues of life, he still, whilst a lot of human beings are, are important, he involves someone else. You see, because my friends, many of my friends are probably in their late 30s to early 50s. There's experience there, but that's still a limited experience. Do they know what has happened in the last 100 years, 200 years, 300 years? 1,000 years, these big issues of life on suffering, on the existence of God. Can I just get somebody, another person, we went to school together, their view? Yes, their view, but it's not authoritative. You know what the psalmist does? When it comes to big issues, he doesn't just involve human beings. He turns to God. He says, show me who? Lord. Show me, Lord. So many of us Christians sadly go through issues and just have no place for God in the equation. Don't look to your right or to your left because I've spoken with you. And sometimes, sadly, I find myself in that position. We can complain about the problem from night until day we involve our friends. Many of those friends are actually unwise, but not God. We claim to be Christians, but ignore God and live as functional atheists. You know what I mean by living as functional atheists? Yes, you claim, I worship God, you go to church, but actually the way you live your life, with God not being involved in that thing, you are basically an atheist in action. Now you say, well... No, I, 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 I praise God. I, I, I really believe. God, God really is the most important thing to me. I somehow, 
you know, I stumbled on um, yesterday. I was telling my wife and and someone that was staying with us there in our house that on Facebook I saw I'd never seen it before. I saw an interview with a porn star, a Nigerian porn star. I never knew there was a Nigerian porn industry. But what was funny about the interview, what the part that I think grieved me the most was at one point the camera went to her hand. I mean, and she's like talking about how you know porn is wonderful, this, this, this. And the camera went to her and she had a tattoo. You know what the tattoo had? What the tattoo was about? It was a cross. I was so sad. Because evidently she would say she's religious and God is helping her in this. No, it's not funny, it's serious. And you see, we can look at her as an extreme, but actually many of us live this way. And let me explain two ways. Because we often ignore both the power of God and the mind of God. This is how you know you're living as a functional atheist in your life. Do you ignore the power of God and ignore the mind of God? What do I mean by ignoring the mind of God? That is, we say, we give all the excuses. Lagos is this, Lagos is that, I don't have time, blah, blah. We don't develop ourselves biblically. We don't develop ourselves theologically about issues. We often give our minds opinion. We often give our traditions opinion. We give our friends opinion. We give our what we think. But we don't develop ourselves theologically, biblically. Because we don't have time. Because, you know, that the, the, the spirit is the one that gives life. The law is the, the letter. Is, you know, all these kinds of things. And we stop being lazy and immature. The Bible is there for us to study it. God has, you would be surprised, most of the things that we are talking about, God has an opinion about it. People have written about it. Study it. Develop your mind to understand God's view on something. But quite often we quickly just call somebody or we just form the opinion ourselves. But the second one is also denying the power of God. Sometimes we are, you know, maybe you are the kind of person who is intellectually savvy. So the first part of the category, uh, the first category, you say, ah, that's not me. Of course, I, I love theology. I read all the books. I do all of those things. But you lack and miss the power of God. That is, you lack an ongoing personal and communal intimacy with God. Truly there, the letter kills that is, you don't have a relationship with this being God. You have a relationship with the Bible. And you know they're not the same thing. Say, hey, but it's in the Bible I meet God. No, God is not the Bible. Sure you know. God reveals himself in the Bible. The Bible is inerrant. It's the word of God. You, should, you can't truly know God, the true God, without studying the Bible. But God is not what? The Bible is a book that tells you about God. It's, it contains, it is God's word. But God himself is not the Bible. Do we agree on that? Because in the beginning was not the Bible. In the beginning was what? And the word was? God existed before it. Do you understand me? The truths in the Bible, the unvarnished inerrant truths in the Bible are meant to lead us to a God who has eternally existed. Do you have ongoing communal fellowship with him? Do you see his power at work in your life? Do you see him transforming you? Can you say, this is how I was before, but by the grace of God, 
by constantly bringing my sin to him, by constantly reflecting and having studied, going back to him in worship, I can see that my life is being transformed. If you are lacking any of these two things, you are living as a functional atheist, you are not asking God to show you. And therefore, your perspective will be limited. And if your perspective is limited, your knowledge will be limited. And if your knowledge is limited, you cannot truly live out your purpose in the way God wants you to. But I want to take this, draw this a little bit to be more specific because the psalmist is not just giving us general principles on inviting people into our lives. That's important. We can get that from there. Or just or inviting God into our life. That is also important. But he's asking, he's more specific about what he's asking, and it is much more personal as well. It's specific and it's personal. So look down back in the text. He says, show me, Lord, what? My life's end. And the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. It's more specific. He's talking about mortality. But it is personal. He's not just talking about mortality as a philosophical subject. He's talking about my mortality. He says, let me know how fleeting my life is. Show me my life's end. The number of my days. This is Nigeria. Let's be honest with ourselves. Talking about death is a taboo. As it is, as I veered into it, everybody was still a little bit, ah, we're talking about principle, bring somebody in. Now we now talked about life, life, my life's end. Ah, whose life's end? That psalmist has died. My own life hasn't ended yet. What are we talking about? Death is a taboo subject. And you think, oh, no, we're outside there. But we here in the church, you know how we put it now? You say, I will not die, but live to declare the works of, you will die, oh. It's, there's no, the person that said I will not die, who said that? The person that said that, you know he's dead. <laughs> we can't talk about that. Death is the most uncomfortable thing to talk about. There was a time when churches had cemeteries around them. People thought that was spooky. So what do we do now? We take the cemetery far away. Let's not see. Or we build a very expensive one somewhere. We put a fence. Those cemeteries were there to remind us about death as we go into the house of the Lord. Now we want to forget about them, so we banish them. Even our burials. When we invite you to someone's burial and we do the poster, what should be a mourning over a death has been turned into a celebration of how can we, what has happened to us? Somebody died, we're still talking about life. What other obvious, as in how else, when else are you going to talk about death? We turn the morning into celebration. We turn the death into life. We will do anything to forget about death. Anything. And yet, the psalmist is saying, show me, Lord, my life's end. And I think I know why. Probably, I don't know. But let me 
say a few reasons. When I look at this chart, when I think about the age, sometimes I always think about the average age, up and down, all that. But I would say this is a chart that is somewhere in the median age and average age is somewhere around 35-36. And so there's still, for a lot of us, still a lot of youth and energy. And so, ah, uh, death care. What? I don't, you know, you come and say, I don't go to the hospital. I only went to the hospital the last time once in like three, four years. Or for some of us, I can't think about death now because <laughs> my hopes and ambitions, they've not yet been realized. I'm still trying to achieve the thing I was meant to achieve. Or for some of us, we don't want to talk about death. Why? Because of the fear of death itself. But can I say this is foolish because this doesn't make us live according to reality. Two only short things in life, they say. Death and taxes. Let's leave the taxes one. It's not that short in Nigeria. We're still trying to. But at least death. But we never will talk about it. I'm sure you guys are enjoying end of the year message about death. Wonderful, have you? We'll get there. You see, the psalmist says you have to have a broader view. He's asking God for a broader view. In fact, in Psalm 90 verse 12, he says that you can only get wisdom and humility when you think about your life. You think about death. He says there that teach us to do what? Number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, when your days are numbered, your heart will be foolish. So much zeal, so much youth. Sometime in April this year, um, I had some of you had know that I've had some health issues for a while. So sometime in April this year, I went to see a specialist because my symptoms from about December, November, December, the previous year, 2018, had been worsening. But around March to April, it really became, they started to really heighten up and up. And so I went to see a specialist. And I remember telling him my symptoms in an orderly fashion. And he was quite, he was like, wow. Like, he, most patients don't know. I kind of just gave him a rundown for about 10 minutes. But I've been dealing with him for years. But I knew, you know, OK, this, this, this. So by the time I finished, I saw him looking, looking, looking. I stopped him. I said, whatever you do, doctor, please, eh, just tell me the truth. I don't, don't, don't sugarcoat it. Don't worry. Just go straight. He looked at me. He did this. He said, I'm suspecting something. I said, I am already. I was suspecting a particular thing. <laughs> so, it now, so it now said, what am I suspecting? I put it. I said, well, based on that, I now said it. He now said, that's not it. He now told me what he was overwhelmingly suspecting based on all the things. When he told me what it was, this is April. This late April, like 20-something. When he told me what it was, the disease that he told me basically left me with maximum. When I say maximum, most people, it's not like this. But maximum, everything being good, maximum with three years to live. Three years. The sad thing, now, he said to confirm I needed to do an MRI. But most likely, this was what it was. The sad thing about it was, I think I was in the office that day. I was traveling the next day. So I could not do the MRI. 
In fact, I was not going to be able to do the MRI until one month. So for one month, this supposedly young man, ponder, I didn't have to number my days. We were already numbered. <laughs> I traveled, I remember thinking about it. You, all of a sudden, there are many things that don't matter again. There are many, I wanted to do this, I wanted to do, do what? <laughs> like, so many, I had, basically, and most people, it was re really within a year. I was a struggle. If I was the second time, the previous one was in 2018, but this one now, there was something that was there. I thought about my mortality a lot. I thought about death. I thought about the things that I was going to do finally. I thought about this church. I thought about people. I thought about many different things. Like, man, I'm going to deteriorate. Ah, man, at some point, people are going to be willing me. I won't be able to talk. Some would say, ah, that's just negative thinking. I did the MRI. I'm still around for a while. <laughs> or so you think. Because even if that was the disease, and it was going to take me three years, but some people, death either creeps in. This is how we are awakened to reality. Death creeps in because of old age. Your faculties wane. The way you used to run before, you can't again. The way you used to visit clients. The way you used to, you start realizing, man, I'm not the same person. You start forgetting things. You start repeating stories over and over again. You start realizing death is creeping in. You start seeing that your children are now going to secondary school. They now have, they are talking about boyfriend and girlfriend. Say, ye. I thought I had a boyfriend two years ago. No, it was 22 years ago. <laughs> so death starts to creep in. But let me say this. With all our overconfidence, sometimes death appears suddenly. Suddenly. Not because you're a bad driver, but because somebody else was a terrible driver. Not because you went out at, at, at late at night, but it's just because some riot, there was some riot with some cultists about someone that was killed last night. Sometimes death appears suddenly. Why do you think you'll be exempt? Because I've made a covenant with God of life. There are many Christians, but there were Christians before you, there are Christians after you that died that way. What makes you better than them? Teach us to number our days. You see, many times, as the psalmist shows us in verse 5, we think that we are so secure. You have made my days a, hand, a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is not, has nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem what? Secure. There is no true security. James even puts this foolishness in another way. He says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there. Carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. You see, God is not saying that you should be thinking 
about death every single time. But he's saying that your life's perspective without a place for your mortality is ultimately narrow, it is foolish, and it is arrogant. There are 50-something-year-olds walking around today and have not done a will. You've not done a will. Do you know why? Because wills are for those people. I postpone death. Because you have, the, you, have the, you have the time to postpone death. You have the power to postpone death. Why won't you write a will if you know you are going to die? You know, I, I'm not ready to die. Do you think you are the one that God is going to ask? Teach us. That's why it says teach, because it's not something we want to learn. It's not something we want to embrace. But he said, this is the heart of wisdom. For that is how I gain a heart of wisdom. How willing are we to embrace this uncomfortable truth? We all will go the way of the grave unless Jesus tarries. I'm talking about a broad perspective. Welcome. You know why this is important? Let me give you one reason. When we embrace our mortality, you would then want every year, every month, every week, every hour, every day, every minute, every second to do what? To count. Because you don't know it can go like that. And so as we head into 2020, how are you thinking about your life? In fact, as you think about your life now, have you even thought about planning it? Or let's just, we'll just go, let's go as it, let's go with the flow. Because you think it will always be flowing. Sometimes that life just stops flowing. We need to be intentional. We need to be purposeful about what I am going to do. Don't say, I do not have any gray hair. I have friends, classmates that are lost this year. Not some of them without gray hair. Make every moment count. There are some of us, as I'm talking to you now, that decision, you need to make it today. You have been lingering in for, for, on it for so long. You don't need any other evidence. You don't need to hear any other opinion. You've had everything. You need to take that decision. Because life is like a hand breath. Life is like a mist. You need to live with intentionality. Amen? Many of us, we cannot continue to waste our time with frivolities. Because our life must count. But also, more importantly, if you want to live in true purpose according to the right perspective, it is not just achieving and making the life count. Making your life count as you please the Lord. 2018, back now. As you please the Lord. In other words, what is the use of achieving something in a way that God does not approve of? It is still subscribing to a particular narrow view of life. That God does not see the wickedness of the things that I do. And so I'm speaking to some of us here. Stop wasting time on that decision. 
You, you, you. Apologize to that person today. You, you, you. Forgive that person today. For some of us, start, start today. Start being generous. For some of us, go and volunteer to that NGO. Don't wait for your friends to join you. For some of you, yes, leave that unhealthy church. For some of you, you better start your personal and your family devotions or restart it. Make your life count and live in a way that pleases the Lord. Why? Because everyone's days are like a mere hand breath. Everyone is but a breath, even to those who seem secure. Now that takes me to my final point. I don't want us to end this sermon with you also missing the point or not having the right perspective on the sermon. Because you see, with what I just concluded with now, you may then think, ah, if I then went to someone's house and that person was not there, I could have called the person, I have wasted 20 minutes of my life. <laughs> well, I made that wrong investment. And so all of a sudden, what happens is because God is saying that you should use your life properly, you translate that into I must achieve every single thing I must in this life. For anything that I don't, for all the things, the, 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 um, the plans that I have left unfulfilled means that I've wasted my life. And so you hold on and cling on to this life with everything that you've got. If you do that, you have totally missed the message. You've totally missed it. You see, because God isn't just coming to say, you have been wasting your life. Now what you need to do, suck it up. You are going to die. Just accept your mortality and now live better. That's not what he's just saying. Because if you take the view that this life is all that matters and it can be gone and I need to achieve these things. Imagine if you are then failing or you fail at something in 2020. You know what you would say? I'm a failure. You live in despair. But imagine if you set 20 goals and by July, <laughs> you've, you've hit 18 of them. Me go maker. You will be arrogant when success comes. So this is not the full point. Now, yes, be wise. Reorder your life, but that don't make it. You see, if your ultimate hope lies, if this world is the thing that matters the most for you, failure in it will be devastating, whereas success or anticipation of success in it will be intoxicating. So what's God's ultimate answer? Remember in the third point now. It's hinted at in the psalmist's response. Notice what he says. He says, show me God. That's what he says. Look at what he says. Show me. I read in our Bibles. Yeah, no, I'm not because it's it's not there. And I, show me what did he say? All right. Show me. All right. Show me, Lord. Now he didn't say show me God. 
He said, show me Lord. Now, is that Lord, capital L, and all the other letters are all small? It's all capitals, right? Meaning he's calling him by Yahweh. He's calling God by his covenant name. His covenant name. And then in verse 7, he says again that, but now, Yahweh, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Notice. This world, he says, be wise in this world. Be wise. Every second counts. And yet, he then says, your hope should not be in this world. Your hope should be in the covenant God. That's where your hope is. Your hope is in your covenant God. Now, this amuses me with this passage. The guy has just said, I'm going to die and show me the end of my days. He has accepted he's going to die. He's accepted his mortality. And yet he's saying, my hope is in you, Lord. Hope for what after you are dead? You are going to die. So what is he hoping God in, in this covenant God for? Some of you are picking it up. Because mortality is not the end of all things. He's hoping in this God for what? Immortality. Ah. You see, his hope is in the covenant God that is able to give what? Immortality. There is life beyond the grave. This is God's ultimate perspective. There is life beyond the grave, and sharing in that life comes through knowing this God in a covenant. Let me put it this way. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 to 10. Paul explains it and brings it so much well to us. He says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose, not yours. And grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christmas. <laughs> our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has done what when he came? Destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light. How? Through the gospel. Let me tell you, the ultimate search for technological futurists. You know what a technological futurist is? People who believe that technology is the answer and they keep looking to the future. People like Elon Musk and all these people. The ultimate quest for technological futurists is to do what? Is to abolish death. That is the ultimate test. The ultimate quest is the search for immortality. 2,000 years ago, God has already solved that technology. So when they are looking for it, they are not just looking for immortality. They are looking for the understanding of how to get immortality. They are looking for a perspective, certain parts of knowledge to bring immortality to light. Listen to me, friends. Maybe you've not made a covenant with this God. Maybe you've been going to church all your life. Maybe you've always sang his praises, but you've never really understood. The way you get into this immortality is that you make a covenant with this God through the good news of his son, Jesus Christ. In his death, he was able to destroy death. And so that in his resurrection life, he makes immortality available to us. Have you heard this news? 
that you can live forever. Live forever with him. The grand perspective that God is trying to bring, if you don't want your perspective to be narrow, if you want your perspective to be ultimately broad, he is saying this. Because of the gospel, you can think of your perspective eternally. Broaden your horizon. Now you say, okay, ah, but I'm a Christian. I've already accepted this. Why is this important to me? Don't you get it? One, for those of you who are here that are so scared of doing the things you need to do because you are scared of death. You never want to talk about death. Christians should be the people that should talk about death all the time. You know why? Because after we die, we shall live again. So do those things that the fear of death is not allowing you to do. Why? Because immortality has been given to us in Christ Jesus. That is why he said, again, I'll go to Christmas. I'm just really feeling about Christmas. He said, because the children were flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part of the same, so that through death he may destroy the, he that had the power over death, that is the devil, and then free those who through the fear of death have been subject to bondage all their lives. He said death is not what puts you in bondage. It is the fear of death that puts you in bondage. Do you want to be free? Embrace the one who destroyed death. Not to talk about death like this thing like you enjoy. Death is coming, death is coming. But to be free to talk about ultimate reality. Death truly is coming. So that's the first thing. But the second thing, why this is important for us, is this. You no longer have to feel like every failure, every failure in this business, every failure in this relationship, every failure, you no longer have to feel like every failure is erasing your relevance. Because I didn't, nobody knows me in this one, nobody, so I'm not relevant. Listen, Ultimate relevance depends on time. When we say somebody is relevant, it's because they've been around for time. The Queen of England has really been very, very relevant. I, I, in fact, she started ruling before. Only mama probably. <laughs> Only mama probably. But the woman has been ruling since most of us were before we were born. She's very relevant because she's lasted over a period of time. And so you are saying, I'm not relevant. I was relevant last year, but I'm not relevant this year. Listen to me. It is in God and Christ that you find your ultimate relevance. Why? Because if relevance is dependent on time, how about being living for all of eternity? Your relevance should be rooted in God and Christ. But also, listen. It also makes you not look at this world as the most important thing. Because if you fail according to this world's standards, don't despair. There is a world that is coming. But if you succeed according to this world's standards, don't be puffed up. Why? There is another world coming. This should give you an incredible freedom as we approach 2020. That the Lord should change our perspective. That the Lord should broaden our perspective. You and I can now number our days and say, I want to live intentionally. But as we live very intentionally, we will live the godly lives that God has called us to, but we can live freely knowing that this life is not all that there is. We can take risks knowing that if I miss it in this one, I have not missed it forever. 
We can succeed and receive people's compliments knowing that it will never be as good in that life as it is. It will never be as good in this life as it is in the life to come. Can I ask you something? I want to challenge us to be that very rare individual in 2020. That rare individual in Lagos or in whatever city that you are living in. You know who that rare individual is? That individual that has an eternal perspective on life. That individual that looks at their mortality and says, yeah, I haven't got enough time. I don't even know how long I've got. But I'm going to live intentionally. I'm going to live, make my life count, but do so in a way that pleases God. But all the while, focusing on the hope that Jesus Christ brings. Are we prepared to be those people? Then let us rise up and pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus Love people Love Lagos <laughs>